Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Bible keys for unending flow of miracles and three types of miracles specifically that I'm going to talk about uh, found in the Bible. Three different types of miracles that we see done in the Bible and throughout the Bible that God is on standby ready to perform for you today. I want you to understand something. Not every need is spiritual. Not every need is physical and not every need is financial. People have different types of needs. A miracle is just Jesus meeting the needs of the people. That's exactly what a miracle, a miracle defined is Jesus meeting the needs of the people. A miracle is simply God meeting the needs of mankind. However, miracles are not accidental occurrences. Miracles are not sovereign moves. God can sovereignly do a miracle if he chooses to. However, that is not uh, the norm that is an exception to the norm but we we're going to study it in the bible how miracles are not triggered by god's sovereign move miracles are triggered triggered by man's obedience a miracle is not so much a matter of god's timing as it is a matter of god's of man's obedience i'm going to say that again a miracle is not a matter of god's timing as much as it is the matter of man's obedience to his instructions and to his covenant when the the covenant terms are fulfilled on our end. God is not the dependent. God is not the, the variable. God is the invariable. God never changes. God remains the same. And so a miracle is birth when our covenant obligations are fulfilled. I've said this many times in uh, throughout throughout the years doing these broadcasts that uh, when when you subscribe, when you download a, a program onto your MacBook or onto your PC, the very first thing that they ask you is, do you agree to the terms and conditions of the program, of the, the, the contract? Pretty much every time you download something, you're entering into a contract with that company that you, you need to physically click that button or else you can't install the software into your computer. In the same vein, God's covenant has terms and conditions. They're not automatically downloaded. They're not automatically installed. Things don't just happen in life. Miracles don't just happen in life. Miracles don't just drop on casual seekers. Miracles are the deliberate acts of God in response to the desperate faith of men. Miracles are the deliberate acts of God in response to the desperate faith of men. I said it before, there are many needs in this world. People have physical needs. People have financial needs. You know, you might not have any financial needs today. Perhaps you're, you're, you're well off. You're a generous person, but physically you're weak today. God does not just, God is not moved by need. Understand this, although you may have a need, God is not moved to act based on people's need. If that was the case, there wouldn't be any needs in this world because the moment a need arose, God would already supply the, the answer or the, the, the provision for that need. So God's not moved necessarily or he doesn't intervene based on someone's need because if that was the case, there wouldn't be hospitals, there wouldn't be any food kitchens, there wouldn't be any of that. 
God is moved by faith. Faith is what moves the hand that moves the world. So just because you're in need does not qualify you for a miracle today. You have a need. Jesus, when he did miracles, was to meet the needs, but the key ingredient in the people, the thing that guaranteed, that ensured that the ones that came to him left with their miracle package in hand was their faith, their violent faith. Oftentimes, the faith of men throughout the Gospels was coupled in or mixed in with a certain level of violence attached to it. You see the woman with the issue of blood. Here's about Jesus passing by. She didn't just sit by and say, well, I hope he comes my way. You know, people that talk like that never receive miracles. People that are just waiting for God to move. Remember, it is not the gift of waiting for miracles. It is the gift of working for miracles. If you're just waiting for God to move, you're going to wait and die waiting. It's not the waiting of miracles. It is the working of miracles. She didn't just sit by and hope and wish. That's another thing. Miracles don't come by hope. Miracles are not a product of wish, wishful thinking. Miracles are not a product of people's superstition. There's a lot of people that mix up faith with super, superstition. There's a lot of people that mix up faith with foolishness. And then there's a lot of people that mix up faith with presumption. They're very presumptuous. I'm probably going to do a broadcast soon on the difference between faith, presumption, and superstition, because a lot of times those things are coupled in. When someone thinks they actually believe, in reality, they're being superstitious. When someone thinks they're in faith, in reality, they're just being presumptuous. When some, pe some people, they think they're standing in faith and they're believing God for breakthrough, in reality, they are actually acting foolish. They're not even in faith. So I I'm probably going to do a broadcast soon on that. But I, want, I wanted to make it clear before I move on to anything else is that miracles are not a product of hope. Miracles are a product of faith. Faith. What, that woman with the issue of blood pressed through the crowd for she said within herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be made well. Faith doesn't deal with the unknown. There's a lot of people that say faith is taking a leap into the unknown. Faith is just jumping into darkness. No, it's actually the opposite. Faith is leaping into light. Faith is stepping out because of your accurate knowledge of God's word. Faith is not just stepping out hoping God does something. Faith is taking God at his word, knowing that he's not a man that he should lie, knowing that even Abraham, the Bible says, was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he's able and willing to perform. Faith is knowing the promises of God, acting on the promises of God, and expecting God that in his integrity, he's going to perform his promises for those that believe. That's why Jeremiah 1 says that God is watching over his word. He's watching over his word today. But if all you do is listen and, and, and just you know, are blessed by this broadcast and there's no step of action that is corresponding with the faith that you say is in your heart, God's just going to continue to watch. God's just going to continue to observe his word. God's hand, see if all it is is God's eyes on his word, it's not going to do anything for, for you. The thing that gets God's hand to move and, and to perform his word God is watching over his word, but if you want God to perform his word, you have to have this thing called faith at work in your life. And faith has corresponding action. We're going to get into that. Triggers for the miraculous. You know, when Mary heard of the, the angel's words that said, the power of the Most High is going to come on you, and that shall be born of thee, shall be called the child of God. 
She did, she said she said these amazing words. She said, "I am the bond servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word." The angel replied, "Blessed are you, Mary, for there sh- for blessed is she who believes." Sorry, Luke one forty five. Blessed is she who believed, for there shall be a performance of those things spoken to her by the Lord. So when you believe, that's when you trigger off the performance. When there's faith in place, that's when God goes to perform what he already promised in his word so miracles are not accidental they are not automatic they are not random occurrences they are not just these uh random uh effects that have no cause every miracle is a product of cause and effect Every single miracle, you can study. The woman with the issue of blood, like I said, she touched the hem of his garment, power flowed, she got healed. The man that was at the the pool, uh, that was blind, sitting by the road, Jesus said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam after he had wiped his eyes with, with the mud that he had spat and made clay with. It was when the man went and washed that he came back seen. So, you, you have to understand this. If Jesus had just anointed his eyes with the mud and the clay that he made with his spit... And that guy just sat there saying, wow, I've been anointed. I know my time is coming. I know these eyes are opening. He would have died blind because the miracle didn't happen just because Jesus put mud on his eyes. The miracle happened when he went to wash in the pool of Siloam and obeyed what Jesus said. Remember, John chapter 2, the wedding of Cana of Galilee. The Bible says there was no more wine. The mother of Jesus came to him and said... Go and, uh, these people have ran out of wine. Jesus said, what does that have to do with me? My hour hasn't even come. Pretty much saying, it's not my time to manifest my glory yet. But you know what? Mary knew something. She knew a divine secret. She told the servants, whatever he tells you to do, you do that. You won't have to pray for the miracle. You won't have to fast for the miracle. If you'll just take him at his word and do what he tells you to do, no amount of prayer, no amount of fasting can substitute obedience. And they went out. They filled the water pots with water based on the commandment of Jesus. And then they took the water, brought it to the master of the feast, and the water was turned into wine. What triggered that miracle? If Jesus, see, a lot of people mistake the miraculous for magic. They mistake the miraculous for magic. This is not magic. This isn't a bracket of brat. This isn't taking a wand, Harry Potter style, and waving it over things. That's not how things work. The miraculous is triggered by obedience to God's instructions. They're not triggered by hopeful, wishful thinking. They're not triggered by incantations. They are triggered by simple obedience to the word of God. They're not random. People think that it's just, you know, God just chooses to do miracles at will. God has chosen to send Jesus to give us now the gateway to access the life, the realm of the miraculous. Once you get saved, you're born again. One of your born again privileges, one of your rights as a born again believer is you now live in the realm of the miraculous. What? Listen to this. Adam, when he lived in the Garden of Eden... He lived in the miraculous. The miraculous was actually just normal for him. It was ordinary for him. There was no miracles in Eden because everything Adam did was miraculous. However, it wasn't miraculous to Adam. It was normal. It was a normal order of the day. Everything he did, I mean, think of it. He had to name every single animal and then remember every one of their names, every title he gave them. And he did it without even skipping a beat. That was a miraculous thing. Imagine having to, that takes like a supercomputer to do that. Adam did that by the power of God, but to him, it was ordinary. 
When Adam fell by transgression and, from, and fell by sin, that miraculous nature in Adam, that, that divine power and enablement that he carried that allowed him to walk in this constant flow of miracles left. It left. It lifted off. That's why he felt like he was naked. Something left Adam in the Garden of Eden after he sinned. But understand this. Redemption, get this in your spirit. Redemption is the restoration of man's dominion on the earth so that we can now regain our ability to command the supernatural at will. Redemption is the restoration of man's dominion in the supernatural realm. Where we're not the ones getting our face cracked in. We're not the ones getting beat up. We're not the ones running from the devil. We're not the ones trying to hide out and hoping that the devil doesn't come our way. By redemption, we have regained our dominion in the supernatural realm so that we can command miracles at will. Understand this. That woman with the issue of blood, she commanded her miracle. Jesus had no schedule, nothing in his schedule that said that he was going to pass by her way that day. There was nothing, actually the Bible even says he didn't even know he touched her until he felt the power come out of him. So he had no, no, no uh, uh, plans on helping that woman that day. He was just going to Jairus' house to raise his daughter from the dead. This was like an interruption type of miracle. But do you want to understand something? That faith can faith in God will allow you to hack in to heaven's mainframe and put your name on God's top priority list for today's work? Do you understand that faith in God can allow you to hack into heaven's mainframe and put your name as top priority on God's to-do list? That's what faith did for that woman. She touched the hem of his garment with faith saying, I know I'm not going to miss out on what God has for me today. There's too many people that go to church, they just physically in the building but mentally they're checked out spiritually they're checked out they draw near with their mouth they draw near with their bodies but their hearts are so far from God and that's why there was thousands of people around Jesus some were even touching him but nobody was touching him with a demand an expectation that this one is the Messiah and if he truly is the Messiah I know that there's no problem I'm facing today that the power of God the virtue of heaven flowing through me can't bring an end to supernatural naturally by his by by uh, by faith and so she's the only one that touched him with faith faith is that key ingredient and so that's why she was the only one that was noted of receiving a miracle she interrupted god's schedule i pray today faith will rise in your spirit to interrupt heaven's schedule for the day so that you can receive your own miracle receive your own financial breakthrough receive your own physical healing receive your own general breakthrough and whatever you're believing god for remember god's plan for your life it doesn't it does not uh include an obstacle free life god didn't say you won't have obstacles god didn't say there won't be giants in the land but what god has said is that no man will be able to stand before you so it's not that obstacles aren't there it's not that there's no problems you're never going to hit a point where you don't have a need you're always going to have some sort of need uh throughout your lifetime you know as you keep moving with god as you keep moving on with God, there's always, if you have a great vision for your life, if you're desiring to see God, not just, you know, you being blessed, but for you to have impact in your generation, there's always going to be a need. There's always going to be something that you require heaven's assistance to obtain. 
And so, God never said that there won't be men trying to stand in your way. God never said there's not going to be giants in the land. Remember, God said to the Israelites, I'm giving you the promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's amazing things in there. It's a wonderful land filled with houses you won't even have to build, filled with furniture that you don't even have to fill, and wells that you don't even have to dig. It's an amazing, glorious land. However, he did say that there's going to be giants in the land. There's always going to be a giant. There's always going to be opposition. And that's where God's miracle-working power comes into play. God's miracle-working power acts as a bulldozer. Let me get this. I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to say. God's miracle-working power acts as a bulldozer to remove every obstacle that might stand in your way. God said you can have healing. There's going to be something that opposes that. But when God's miracle working power comes on the scene, it clears out anything standing between you and physical healing, between you and financial prosperity, between you and whatever God has promised in this book that you can have and you can obtain. Now, the first thing you have to conclude in your spirit today before you can have a miracle is that you need to be convinced that God does miracles, that God is a miracle worker, that God hasn't changed his program, that he's still doing miracles in this day and in this age. Because if you're questioning that, then you're out of faith. And if you're out of faith, the Bible says, let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord. So you have to be thoroughly convinced. God does miracles today. And I can go off for hours on everything I've seen in just five years of travel. Of every miracle. Blind eyes open in Peru. This lady had a blind eye. Came to the altar. And um, she, she, you could see like a thin film of whatever on her eye. And I put my hand on her. Did what Jesus told me to do. Lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. And the Bible says that... Um, that uh, as you freely you've received, freely give. In John 14, 12, it says that the works you've seen me do, you shall do. So I did what Jesus did. He laid his hands on, on blind eyes at a time and he commanded the blindness to seize, the blindness to go. I did the same thing. I can tell you, when I lifted off my hand from that lady's eyes, the thin film that was on her eye, it was on her left eye, just evaporated like a smoke, just evaporating into thin air. And her face, I wish I had the, the picture installed on my computer because I would love to show you. Maybe I'll post it later on Instagram. But her face lit up. Like, I didn't have to ask her, can you see? I knew based on her facial expression that she was able to see at that moment. Her face lit up and she was able, with the eye that was formerly blind, she was able to see things across the room. I mean, God is still, he is the God who was, the God who is, the God who is to come, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He said, I am the Lord your God and I change not. He's not some roller coaster God, up today, gone tomorrow. He He's not some unpredictable God that you really don't know what he has in store for us. The program has never changed. His plan, his MO has never changed. The son of God was made manifest to destroy the works of the devil. And he's still everywhere he's manifest today. He's still destroying the works of the devil. That's ultimately what a miracle is. It is the reversal of the fallen state of man. It is the reversal of the consequences of the fallen state of man. What 
whatever man received as a result, as a re recompense, as a consequence for our, our original fallen state, sickness, disease, depression, whatever it might be, poverty, lack, marital problems, whatever it might be that came as a result of the fall, whatever is not in God's perfect order, Miracles are a restoration of God's perfect order for mankind. So I tell you in the name of Jesus, before I move on to anything else, anything that the devil's messed up with in your life, anything that he has, he has tinkered with in your life, anything that he has set his scope to attack in your life, anything that's been damaged and made dysfunctional in your body, in your finances, in your life in general, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, as faith arises in your heart today, ye shall lay hold on the miraculous power of God that's going to turn things for you. Like, Ju like Jesus said in Luke 21, this has been ordained to turn to you for a testimony the devil might have got get this understand this god did not start the problem sin and satan did that but this has been ordained to turn to you for a testimony you know everybody loves to read john 9 let me read this people think that jesus they, they really twisted his words in this passage i get this all the time when it when it comes to divine healing this is the main objection people have john 9 verses 1 through through 5 listen to this now as jesus passed by he saw a man who was blind from birth his disciples asked him saying rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind so they were asking jesus whether it was a direct sin. This guy must have been in sin. That's why he's, he, he was born blind. Or he must be like one of the sons of the wicked one or something like that. Or maybe it's something his parents did. Maybe they, they, you know, they had an abortion in, in, in the past or whatever. Or maybe they did something bad. Maybe they were displeasing God. They were living in rebellion towards God. And that's why God gave them this blind child. That's exactly what they were asking Jesus. Was it because of this man's sin or his parents' sin that he was born like this? Jesus answered and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. So it's not direct, a direct result of their actual sin that this man, I'm not saying some sicknesses, this was not a sickness, blindness is not a sickness, but I'm not saying that there, you know, some sicknesses, you reap the result and the consequence of your actions. You go around sleeping with everyone and you start getting some sort of STD, you reap the result of, of, of the seeds that you've sown. So some sicknesses are sin stimulated or sin provoked. However, in this case, Jesus says it's, it's not a result of anybody's direct sin or direct disobedience to God, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for night comes when no man can work. So some people read this, that neither this man sinned nor his parents sinned, but God, this was God's work. That's how some people read it, which I have no idea how you can actually interpret it that way because the Bible says in verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is yet day. What was the work? It was the reversal of that man's blindness. It was the opening of his eyes. So he says the original sin, it wasn't his mom or his parents' sin that caused this. Original sin, fallen man, there was no blind people in Eden. Adam didn't have a, a hearing aid in Eden. It was when Adam sinned, these things entered the world, original sin caused this and then jesus said i have come to work the works of him who sent me what was the work of him that sent me it was to reverse the fallen nature of man it was to bring back man into eden's perfect state it was to reverse and to, to restore sorry to restore god's perfect order for mankind hallelujah
So anytime someone brings that up to you, next time now you know what to say. Now you know exactly what to say. It wasn't, he was, Jesus wasn't saying this is the work of God. And I've, you know, this is the work of God and, and you know, there's nothing we can do about it. Jesus was saying, this, uh, this man and his parents didn't sin, but that the work of God should be revealed. What was the work of God being revealed at that moment? His eyes being opened. Hallelujah. So understand this. When Jesus showed up, miracles happened. When Jesus stepped into the place, miracles happened. There's that song, when he steps into the room, everything changes. And I like those lyrics because it's true. You cannot say the presence of Jesus was in that place. You know, there's a lot of people that say, you know, you guys are so into fanaticism and miracles and all the supernatural. It's all just sensationalism. We're more word people. Let me, let me tell you something. Jesus was the word made flesh and he was into miracles Bible says that everywhere he went, John 2, this beginning of signs that Jesus in Cana of Galilee had manifested his glory. So the signs and wonders, miracles, are a manifestation of God's glory. So you can't say, I'm a word-only person. Let, first of all, you can't say, you know, proper Bible doctrine is going to produce miracles and the supernatural. Now, not all um, supernatural manifestations are the result of proper Bible doctrine. You know, there can be demonic manifestations and stuff. You have people that, that literally try to manipulate the power of God uh, for gain. They, try, they fake it. They're in the flesh. And, the, and oftentimes the devil points to that, that type of crowd to, do, to throw the baby out with the bathwater to totally dismiss the fact of miracles. However, I will say... You cannot, you cannot for a time preach proper Bible good doctrine and not have a flow of, mir of miracles, signs, and wonders. Proper Bible doctrine is always going to produce and invoke God's miracle hand. Even though not all manifestations of supernatural activity is the result of proper doctrine, there are a lot of people in error. Jesus even said, you don't even know me, but they said we worked miracles in your name. However, proper doctrine is always going to produce signs and wonders. Sound doctrine produces signs and wonders. Jesus was the word made flesh. And he said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. They're life. They're zoe. They activate God's nature in you. And that produces miracles in turn. So everything, everything Jesus did, everywhere he went, triggered off the miraculous I want to go through three types of miracles that you can find in the Bible. Three types of miracles that are located in the Bible. The basic three. Number one are general miracles. General miracles. Second Chronicles chapter 20. What do I mean by a general miracle before I move to Second Chronicles chapter 20? A general miracle is... It's not physical. You don't need a, it's not a financial need you ha, that you have need of. But it's, you're, you're in a, a rut. You're in a pit. You're in a very tight corner and you need a way out. Maybe it's a job that you need. Maybe it's uh, a marriage to be restored. Maybe it's uh, 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 the fruit of the womb. You've suffered barrenness for years and you're believing God for a child. See, that's, uh, sometimes it could be the result of a sick body or whatever. But 
uh, that, that classifies or is in the category of just general breakthrough miracles. So if, you, if you're believing God for open doors, if you're believing God for, um, for a Red Sea parting, something impossible, an impossible situation that you're facing, a mountain, an immovable obstacle that's in your life, that's classified as a general breakthrough miracle. And so 2 Chronicles chapter 20, you have the people of God that have three armies that have been sent against them. They didn't need healing. They didn't need financial help. They were faced with warfare. They, they had three strong armies come against their little tight, tiny army and they were backed up into a corner and there was no natural way out. Matter of fact, Jehoshaphat says, we don't even know what to do. So what do I mean by general breakthrough miracles? When you're in a place in life where you don't know what to do and you need God to, to move, you need God to act or everything is going to be crumbling down. That's a general miracle. They said, we don't know what to do for we have no power against this great multitude, but our eyes are on you. So they said, we have no power in our own resources to get anything done today. However, where our expectation is coming, is pointed at you. Our expectation is focused on you. Our expectation is, uh, is on you. The Bible says that when they began to sing praises unto the Lord and began to praise God with voices loud and high, he set ambush against their enemies and the three armies began to fight each other and they demolished they demolished one another. You know, we're at a point in history where we would we need a miracle in our nation, whether you're in Canada or whether you're you're in the United States of America. We need God's miracle working power to hit the nation on a whole, from the highest level of government to the lowest class of citizen. We need a miracle to take place because the devil, the Bible says, has come down to the earth having great wrath. That's why you're seeing an extreme amount of intense increase of wickedness that's prevailing in the land, that's, that's, um, that's rising up in the land. So we don't need healing. We need a miraculous breakthrough to happen. In I mean, even in reference to what's happening in the last two days with the abortion, uh, uh, the the abortion uh, uh, court case that's happening right now on the Supreme Court level. We need a miracle where God moves on those people's hearts to rule in favor for righteousness, because no nation can ever be blessed if they have laws that facilitate sin. We need God to move on a in a miracle on that type of level in this day and in this age. That's a general breakthrough. That's a general miracle. John chapter 2, they needed wine at a wedding. See, some people think that God's only interested in getting you to heaven, that he doesn't care for your day-to-day -day affairs. That's not true. God cares, is concerned with your day-to-day -day affairs. They needed wine. What? They could have gone without wine. It wouldn't have done anybody any bad or good. But Jesus turned the water into wine because if, it, if you care for it, then he cares for it. If you're concerned with it, then he's concerned with it. And Jesus said, if you have any mountain that's in front of you, which represents impossible situations, things that are preventing you, anything that's preventing you or hindering you from receiving fullness of joy, rest, and peace, 
Anything that's weighing in on you, weighing you down, causing you to worry, causing you to be anxious. Jesus said, if there's any mountain in your way, you can say to the mountain, be thou uprooted and tossed into the midst of the sea, and it shall obey your command. You will have what you say. So he didn't say, if you have anything, uh, you know, anything that's just hindering the gospel from going forth, then you can pray about it. No, anything that's hindering you. God's not just concerned with, with, with uh, the kingdom of God going forth, although that's, that's his primary concern. God also cares about things that pertain to you. He's intimately acquainted with all your ways, the Bible says. There's general breakthrough. Anything that would be standing in your way to obtain peace, joy, will require a miracle to remove it. And... Uh, and faith is what will provoke that miracle to happen. I said it before, just knowing, just knowing what's available to you. You know, Paul said in Ephesians 1 that we, the eyes of our understanding would be open so that we can know the surpassing greatness of God's power available to those that believe. Just because you know God's power can do it, God's able to do it, does not mean you're going to acquire it. Just because there's a million dollars in my bank account does not mean I can go and spend a million dollars right now. I have to go to my bank account and I have to know the, di the digital pin in order to access that money. So it's not enough just to know uh, what God has made available to you. You have to know how to activate. Activate it to actually receive the reward of the promise. If you're believing God for marital restoration today, your house is a, is a wreck. Your, your family is... is, is, is is a wreck there's no peace in your marriage there's no peace in your home do you know what the bible says that god sets the solitary in families that means that he he pretty much commands the blessing for families that god has no plans for your family to be in disarray and disturbed by all kinds of of of, of satanic distractions and assaults against your lives God wants to restore your family. It's going to take a miracle. Some of you have said your husband, will, maybe he's left and he hasn't served you the papers yet, but he's looking to. Do you want, God can do a miracle where there's a change of heart in his, in his own heart and he comes back not only not wanting to divorce you, but it's like whatever hate or whatever anger or bitter feelings he had towards you are supernaturally just removed. It takes a miracle for that. I said it before, maybe it's a fruit of the womb. Maybe you're believing God for a child. The Lord can, can touch your womb right now. The Bible says there shall be no barren amongst all your tribes, not even amongst your cows and amongst your cattle. God doesn't even, didn't even want the cattle of Israel to be barren. You're believing God for a child and the doctors have said there's nothing we can do, whatever it might be, if it's on the male's end or if it's on the female's end. God is going to do a miracle for you today in Jesus' name. I, I command whatever has been distorted in your body to be supernaturally restored right now by faith. Number two, miracles of provision. God does miracles of provision. God wants to move you from the beggar's hill to the king's, to the king's, uh, the king's table. God wants to move you from the beggar's hill to the king's table. What do I mean by that? 
2 Kings chapter 4, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, your servant, my husband is dead and you know that your servant feared the Lord and the creditor is coming to, to take away my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. And he said, go and borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, don't gather just a few. And when you've come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it in all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and he poured them out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said, bring me another vessel. He said, there's not another vessel. So the oil ceased. And she came and told the man of God. So he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt. And you and your sons will live off the rest. This woman was in debt beyond her ability to ever repay. And the Bible says that the creditors, the people that were demanding a repayment for her debt, were, were at wit's end. They were fed up. They came in. They were going to take her two sons and make them slaves as repayment for the debt that she owed. She didn't want that. So she went to the man of God, Elisha, and said, what should I do? Elisha, Elisha was very clear. He didn't say, let's just get around and pray. So there's too many people that are praying for miracles. When you're wanting a miracle, instead of asking God for the miracle, ask God for the instruction that would trigger off and provoke the miracle. She said, Lord, what shall I do? Elisha replied, um, what do you have in your house? She said, I only have a few, I have a, one jar of oil. That's all I've got. See, you might be in a place where you're financially depleted and you, you keep saying, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. But you always have something. She, Elisha knew that. You might, Elisha was like, you might say you have nothing. You might be in a tight space, but God cannot multiply nothing. Zero times zero is zero. Actually, it's not even zero. It's, it's nothing. There's no mathematical answer to zero times zero. You can't expect miracle provision to happen if you've not put anything in God's hands first. That's why he asked her, what do you have? There's always something that you can give. There's always something you can sow. She said, I only have one jar of oil. He said, that's enough. See, some people are focusing on their lack. And, uh, and, and it's, uh, they've allowed that to like keep them out of faith to actually sow what they do have. People focus on what they don't have instead of saying, what I do have can act as a seed to multiply what I have and bring me into an abundance. He said, go and borrow vessels from everywhere. Don't borrow just a few. And when you've come in, shut the door behind you and begin to pour out what you do have into those unfilled vessels. When she did that, see, she could have just sat at home and said, man, it's, you know, that guy's really insensitive. I came, you know, I've seen the miracles he's done for others. I came, I had a need. And then he goes out and tells me to borrow vessels and start pouring out like what a foolish thing, what a foolish thing to do. Let me tell you something. If you'll do the ridiculous, God will do the miraculous. If you'll do the ridiculous, God will do the miraculous. She must have looked like a lunatic pouring out those, that, that one jar of oil into other vessels. But when she was faithful to be foolish in obeying God's Seemingly foolish instruction, God was faithful in doing what only he can do. As she began to pour, the vessels began to fill. As you begin, you'll find out very quickly. Jesus said it, if you'll give. See, Elisha was just acting or was 
divulging the secret to her of seed time and harvest. You cannot receive. It's better to give than to receive. Remember that? You can't receive until you give. That's what Jesus was saying. You're looking out, trying to receive, when God's saying you can't, you can't skip the step to give. That's why it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Because when you receive, that's all you've got. But when you give, you're setting yourself up for abundance. You're setting yourself up for overflow. Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, and falling over into your lap. I heard a story of a, a Bible college. Um, when I was in Bible college, one of the guest speakers at chapel, he grew up poor. One day they had no more food. The Lord told, the Lord told him, uh, his mother, sorry, he was a young boy. The Lord told his mother to open up the, 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 the box of craft dinner that they had. And she, he, the Lord told him, now, now uh, pour out the, the box of craft dinner into, this, into the pot by faith. And as she did, instead of craft dinner coming out, money began to just come out of the box of craft dinner. And just, she just kept on pouring it out and pouring it out and pouring it out. And for months, anytime they had a need, whatever it was, she, I'm, this sounds crazy, but it happened. She would pour out the box of craft din dinner and then money would, would come. There was another guy, I heard, this was in Africa. Bishop Oyedepo was telling the testimony. There was a, a lady who they too ran out of food. They were down to like their last meal. The Lord told her to... Put a, 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 a cauldron of stew, a, a pot of stew on the oven, on the stove. And to never look into it. To just open it up and pour out whatever's in there on the plates. And every single night, the Lord said, I'll provide something new and something fresh for you. So she opened it up one night. Uh, the same night, she got it all set up. She opened it up and she, she had not put anything in there. She just put it on, on, the, on the stove and turned the heat on. She opened it up and started to pour out things in, 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 in different bowls and plates. And it, I don't know what it was. I think the first night it was like turkey or something like that. They ended up eating that night. The next night, same thing. Opens it up. Didn't look in. Didn't even have to wash the pot. The Lord said, do not look in. Just like he told Lot's wife, don't look back. She opens it up. Pours out. It's a different meal entirely. It's like braised beef that night. Then the next night, did it. Totally different, totally different meal. Every single night, for weeks on weeks, until finally, she got so curious, she looked into the pot. There was nothing there, and the, it ceased from that moment onward. But you see, as she was faithful to do a ridiculous thing, to just put a pot on every night and turn the heat up, and not put anything in it, and open it up and just pour out on plates every single night. As she was faithful to do the ridiculous, God was faithful in performing the miraculous. This lady began to pour out one jar of oil and it kept pouring until there was no more vessels. What did they do with it? She, the prophet said, now go and take what was in the vessels, sell it, pay off your debt, and you and your sons live off the rest. And that's exactly what happened. If you're believing God for debt annulation, debt cancellation, you can sow a seed that will break the back of debt and poverty over your life. 
and bring you into the realm of abundance. I said it before. God has no plans on you remaining on the beggar's hill. You're not to be a beggar project. You're not supposed to be a, a, a give me, give me type of Christian. God told Abraham, I will bless you and make you great so that you can be a blessing to your generation. It's not God's will for to be any poor Christians. Are there poor Christians? Yeah. But it's not his will for anybody to remain in poverty any, any more than it's his will for anybody to remain in sin. God has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. You can't be a blessing to others if you don't even have enough to fill your own tummy. You look at John chapter 6. Jesus is in the wilderness for three days now. He has a crowd of 5,000 men. They run out of food. They've got nothing to eat now. And the Bible says, John chapter, let me read it. John chapter 6. One of the most miraculous stories of the Bible. John chapter 6. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews was near, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? So Jesus tested him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not even enough that everybody should have just a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said, there is a small child here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what is that amongst so many? There's too many people that focus, like I said before, they focus on what they don't have. They focus on how little they have. Not knowing that the little that you have can act as a seed to produce the much that you need. What is it amongst so many people? What is five pieces of bread going to do amongst this many people? Jesus said, make the people sit down. And there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as many as they wanted. So they were all filled. And he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments which remain. And they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets of the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten them. He's not El Chipo, he's El Shaddai. Notice how he didn't just make enough bread so that everybody had just enough so that they can make it for their journey home. He, made an, he commanded an overflow, an abundance of bread. He did more than enough. That's what El Shaddai means. The God of more than enough. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who provides for us. He's not trying, people think that God is like their cheap ant. He's trying to like save and salvage whatever he has. Because there's not enough to go around. So let's just, he's like rationing everything that he has. He owns all the silver and all the gold. You think your need is causing concern in heaven? Absolutely not. The streets of heaven are paved with gold. So I say all this to tell you, no matter if you're believing God for debt cancellation, or if you're believing God for multiplication of what you have so that you can, you can actually walk in the overflow and quit going from paycheck to paycheck. The God of overflow is still doing miracles like this today. I mean, you... <laughs> in Malachi chapter 3, he says, bring me the tithe and the offering in the storehouse... And for what? 
See if I will not pour out on you a blessing so much so you won't have enough room to fit it all in. It doesn't say, see if I'll just give you everything you need. God doesn't want you to be on the level of just of being in need constantly. God wants to take you to the point, to the level where you're now meeting the needs of those around you. Well, I don't believe in God prospering his children. Well, you're going to hate David and you're going to hate Solomon and you're not going to want to be around Abraham. You're definitely not going to want to be around Solomon because Solomon said, Lord, I want wisdom to guide and, 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 uh, and, and to guide your people. And the Lord didn't say, okay, I'm glad you asked for wisdom because that's all I was going to give you. He said, because you didn't ask for riches or anything else, by the wisdom I give you, I'm going to give you riches beyond anything any other king has ever experienced in their life. That's what God told Solomon. Because you asked a good thing, because you're not wanting, you're not wanting self-aggrandizement, you're not wanting self-promotion, selfish ambition. See, if your heart is to increase you, if your heart is so that, you know, you can be rich and that you can have your best life now, then you're not, you're not going to enjoy God's covenant of prosperity. But if your heart is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and to be a blessing to your generation, God will give you not only enough for you to live all right, but an overflow for you to meet every single work that God would call you to, call you to meet. You look at it in Luke chapter 22 when the disciples were sent out. Jesus asked them saying, did you lack anything when I sent you out without script, without money bag, without any purse? Did you lack anything? The disciples didn't say, yeah, it's actually been really tough. We've, we've actually, uh, we've had to like open up a GoFundMe account because things are that bad. They said, we haven't lacked anything. And Judas was still, num- uh, not Judas, Thomas was in, was in the number there. Thomas, the doubting Thomas. So if they really didn't have a, a lack, if they really were in need, he would have spoke up and said, actually, you know what? It's been tough. It's been rough. But no, they said, we didn't lack anything. We haven't lacked one thing. Why? Because Psalm 23, if the Lord is your shepherd, if you're following God, if you're keeping your heart in check to be like David, a, a man after his own heart, you will not lack, the Bible says. The Lord is my shepherd, thou shalt not lack. He leads you by still waters. He makes you to lie down in green pastures. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. A table with his choice blessings. He anoints your head with fresh oil. Your cup runs over. Doesn't say your cup runs to the top. Doesn't say your cup's halfway full and you'll always have enough just to make it through. Your cup runs over. There's an overflow of blessing and goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. David said, I've been young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his children begging for bread. So if you're in need of a a financial miracle today, you're not able to pay rent. Maybe you have debt from college and you were kind of lost at that time. So you went to several colleges and you accumulated a large amount of debt that you're unable to pay or it's going to be years, 20 years, 25 years before you can pay it all off. Let me tell you what God did for that widow with the jar of oil, as she obeyed the commandment of Elisha to start pouring it out, I believe God's going to do it for you. God, if you, if you will obey God's instructions to be faithful in your giving, God can move on one person. See, God doesn't manufacture money in heaven. 
He doesn't print counterfeit money to get to you. All the money in, in the world is already, it's in circulation right now. God will, mute, will use other people. The Bible says, shall men give into your lap? Press down, shaken together and falling over into your lap. Shall men give into your lap? So God will use what's already in circulation in the hands of people that are in tune with him to get the money to you. I mean, there's that testimony I'm re- remembering right now of that lady that she said she was a faithful giver. She's a faithful giver to this, to this ministry. And um, she, she even, even in the time where she didn't have that much, she always made God a uh, priority in her finances. And she ended up having new management come into her work and the new management was not like pleasurable, not pleasant to be around. And they started to switch all kinds of stuff. And she was like pretty much facing job termination. And her lunch break, she went out and she began to pray to the Lord and said, Lord, you know how I've been faithful in finances. You know how I've always given my best, my first fruit to you. I ask you for a better, the, she had a job in mind that she wanted, that she had applied for. That she never thought she'd get because she wasn't qualified for it. She said, Lord, I, I want that job. And um, I'm all, she said, I'm also looking for an apartment. She didn't want to stay at home anymore because her family situation was rough. And so she wanted to move out and have her own apartment so she can, you know, when you're in a home where you, you have to pretty much fear your life every time you walk through the door, it's not a pleasant situation to be in. So she was asking God for a, uh, an apartment and a new job a good job that a higher pay, but that she was totally unqualified for. Well, the next day, less than 24 hours later, she gets a call from the job that she had applied for. They asked her to come in for the interview. She gets hired on the spot. Then people from her church a couple of days later heard about her situation at home and that she wanted to, she wanted to move out and to move into an apartment, agreed to pay a full 12 months of her rent and furnish, and then someone else gave her a check to furnish her entire apartment. I mean, that solved three problems in one. She got a new job, she got out of the house, and then when you move into a house, moving into the house is the easy part. Furnishing the house is the, can be uh, costly. She had everything furnished supernaturally. I am the Lord that provides for thee, Jehovah Jireh. If we're going to believe God that he's Jehovah Tzikenu, the Lord our righteousness, then we have to also learn to believe God for temporal things. There's people, Christians, that are so intent and confident in believing God for the eternal things, and then they have a hard time believing God for temporal things like money. It's so easy for God to provide money. Doesn't doesn't worry him. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your body, what you eat, what you'll put on. Life is more than clothing. The body is more than food. Seek first the kingdom of God. God knows what you have need of. He knows you need all those things. Put your hand to the plow and be loyal to his kingdom financially and in your, in your time and in your energy and see if I will not pour out, uh, see if I will not, the Bible says, Every, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else that people are seeking after. See if I'll not cheaply add it to your account. Number two, miracles of provision. And number three, I finish with this, is miracles of healing. He, miracles of healing. Miracles in the body. Miracles in your physical body. Acts chapter three, Peter and John are on the, going to the hour of prayer. There's a man lame, crippled from his mother's womb who had never walked. The Bible says they saw him and he expected to receive money from them. Instead, they said, we don't, silver and gold, we don't have. They weren't saying we're poor. They're saying there's not enough money to cure paralysis. 
But such as we do have, we give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And using the name, they seized him by the hand. You know, when you use the name of Jesus, you are literally acting as Christ's representative in that situation. As though Christ himself were acting at that moment in time. When you use the name of Jesus, you are, you are operating in the delegated authority of heaven, as though Jesus were giving and issuing out the command. That's why they were confident to grab him by the, the arm and lift him up after. Because they didn't just say, you know, such, you know, uh, we don't have silver and gold, but we're going to pray that God heals you. They didn't do that. They commanded the supernatural when they used the name of Jesus. So it's not, Father, we just pray that you'd heal us and you'd touch our bodies. We're feeling weak today. It's command, you have to learn to command your, your physical body to line up with God's divine order. And by using the name of Jesus, you're enforcing heaven's authority to bring it to pass. So it's not wishing that you become well. It's, Father, in light of what your word says, by his stripes I'm healed, in the name of Jesus, I command this body to line up with the divine will of the word of God, with the counsel of God's word. I command this pancreas to be strengthened. I command in the name of Jesus those legs to be strengthened. So it's not you, it's not you begging for God to do something. A miracle is birth when you begin to learn to use the authority of the name of Jesus and call those things that be not as though they are. That's why Paul, Acts 19.11, extraordinary miracles were done by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to them that were sick and to those that were demonized and the sick were healed and the demon possessed were, were set free. Why? He wasn't waiting for God to do something. He started to trim his own garments and pass them out because he... Just like Peter and John, such as we have. He understood what we had. Too many people are reaching for heaven when heaven's already deposited everything we need in us. Such as we have, we give. Peter knew that the name of Jesus was more than enough to cause every knee of paralysis to bow. Paul knew that the anointing that was on him, just the residue of the anointing that was on him, that was in his handkerchiefs, in his apron, in his clothing, in his garment, was more than enough to expel any demonic presence and to heal whatever case of sickness that people might have had. Extraordinary miracles were done by the... Notice how it doesn't say the extraordinary miracles were done by the hands of God? You are the hands of God. You are God's mouthpiece on the earth. God does extraordinary miracles, but He uses our mouth and He uses our hands. Acts 5.12, and many signs and wonders were done how? Through the hands of the apostles. Through the hands of the apostles. Acts 14.3, they stayed there a long while, speaking boldly in the Lord. So they used their mouth, while the Lord granted that signs and wonders be done by their hands. And ye shall lay hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. So if you're in need of a miracle of healing today in your body, you have to learn to by the name of Jesus, command. That's why when I pray for the sick, I don't say, Father, I pray that your healing power would hit them right now. I don't pray that. That's actually someone who has an insufficient knowledge of the authority of the name of Jesus and their duty as stewards of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that's in them, that's resident in them. When you're ignorant of what your responsibility is, knowing that God's resurrection power lives in you, you start to pray, Father, heal them, Father, touch them. It's not Father heal them, Father touch them. 
you see the guys that operated in miracles, Teal Osborne, A.A. Allen, R.W. Schambach, um, Kenneth Hagen, they weren't, they weren't, uh, they weren't praying that God would heal these people. They would command healing in their bodies. There was a, a, a sick child that was brought to A.A. Allen in his meeting who had, he had no, he had no uh, bones in his feet. They called him monkey, monkey boy. He had no bones in his feet. They were like spaghetti legs. You can move him like this. The mom brought the child to A.A. Allen. He started to preach with the boy in his hand, preach the anointing, had faith rise in his own heart. Then he took the boy and said, in the name of Jesus, I command uh, resurrection power into your leg. And he slammed the boy onto the platform that he, that he had jumped off of. And when he did that, the people that witnessed the miracle said we heard like cordwood snapping. Snapping, cat, cat. And bones began to form in that little boy's legs and he began to take his first few steps waddling over. He had no bones and all of a sudden bones came. Why did it happen? Because A. Allen understood he already said, in my name, ye shall lay hands on the sick. Ye shall use my name to cast out the devil. He, he, it didn't say, ye shall pray for this. It says, you shall lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. So he used the name of Jesus, understood that he carried resurrection life, commanded his bones to be restored. And as he acted in faith, you look at Smith Wigglesworth, read his books or books that were documenting his travels and stuff. He didn't pray for the sick. He commanded the sick to be healed. He so You have to come to a point of intolerance for what the devil's done in your body. When you're still like in that stage of like accepting the sickness or learning to cope with it, that's when you start saying, Father, in thy timing we pray. That. You can know that person doesn't have it yet. Somebody who understands what I'm saying right now, the way they pray is... Thou foul spirit of infirmity, you stupid, dumb devil. What right do you have? See, that's where understanding the word of God comes into play. When you understand the word of God, the word of God sets up our boundaries. It sets up a boundary around you. You know how like when you buy land, you have land markers that show you what land belongs to you, how much square footage of that land is actually yours, and you set up those land markers so that nobody can just move in and start building a house on your land because it's your land. When you don't know the word of God, you don't have those markers set up. The devil can come and install anything he wants in your life. But when you start to understand the word of God, the more you know from the word, the more those boundaries grow and expand until you actually find out that the devil has no business not even to put sniffles on you, let alone diabetes, let alone high blood pressure, let alone sickle cell anemia. So when you understand that, you're not saying, Father, I just... You, body, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to be restored, to be strengthened. I command healing power to flow through you right now in Jesus' name. I refuse to stay sick. Any devil that has stretched forth his hand against my body, it gets its hand cut off now in Jesus' mighty name. I command strength. That's why the Bible says, let the weak pray I'm strong. No, it doesn't say let the weak pray they are strong. Let the weak say I'm strong. Say I'm strong. Miracles are not provoked by that cheap North American Christian 
culture type of prayer. Miracles are provoked when there's a level of violence attached to it. Look at the man who's lame. His friends bring him to where Jesus is at. The house is too full. They can't get him to Jesus. So they went home that day and they said, it must not have been God's will. No, they sawed the roof open. Talk about violence. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, the Bible says. And only the violent can take what belongs to them in the kingdom. Remember, if it's in heaven, doesn't benefit you. Only those who learn how to, uh, to pull down the things in heaven to bring them into our earthly reality can benefit of it or benefit from it. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Only the violent take it by force. The violent. So what are, those are three types of miracles God will do for you. I want to go through five triggers for the miraculous. This is where we get practical. Five things that are going to trigger the miraculous for you today. Five things that once you implement these things, it's impossible to not break the dam that's been blocking the miraculous flow of God's power from being released your way to produce supernatural things in your life. Number one, you need to be convinced that God still does miracles today. That's one of the triggers. If you don't pull that first trigger, nothing else is going to flow. He's the I am that I am. He's not the I was. People that say there was a day of miracles don't understand God. Because miracles, there was no day of miracles. There's only a God of miracles. And that God has not changed. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And he's performing his power on, upon those that believe. Upon those that will take him at his word. Not try and refashion his word. Not try and reinterpret his word. Not try and like water down his word. If God said I can have it, I can have it. Ain't nothing going to stop me. I mean, you look at it. When Jesus was doing miracles and John the Baptist was thrown in prison because of him calling out Herod, he sent two disciples to Jesus and said, are you the coming one or should we look for another? Jesus identified his messianic mission by saying, go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard. The blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the gospel is being preached to the poor, and blessed is he who is not offended at me. I don't understand how so many people are offended by Jesus' miracle ministry. It's a religious devil that would get you offended against Jesus' miracle ministry. It's a religious devil that turns people off to miracles. Because the devil doesn't want you to have that miracles. Because every time a miracle happened, it always quickly, instantly resulted in glory being brought to God. And God, the devil wants to block glory from going to God. So what does he do? He tries to block people's understanding that Jesus' messianic mission has never changed. He's, he's still doing this today. He's not the one who was Messiah and now he's... He is the Messiah to this day. He's still the Messiah. He's still the Lamb of God that was slain to redeem every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every, every uh, language. He identified himself to John as Messiah by the miracles that he did. Today, he's still identifying the authenticity of the gospel message is preached when miracles happen. Miracles themselves carry a sign uh, carry a message. Every miracle carries a message. 
God told Moses, if they do not heed the message of the first sign, they will heed the message of the second sign or of the latter sign. So every miracle has a, a message tied to it. Miracles can convince people. That's why Jesus said, if you don't believe because of my word, at least believe because of the works, the miracles you see me do. Miracles can preach things that no English language or any other language can preach. It seals, it validates. Miracles are God's validation of his gospel message. And because the gospel hasn't been done away with, miracles have not been done away with. doesn't say in Acts chapter 28, 28 and when Paul died, miracles ceased. And now we've learned to adopt new programs and flashing lights and good worship bands to attract people into our churches. doesn't say that. There's no end to the book of Acts. Literally ends, dot, dot, dot. And all through the church ages, you can study it. I have a book behind me by Tom Hyatt, I believe it is. I think his name's Tom Hyatt. Hyatt. And it's 2,000 years of charismatic Christianity. And it shows all the pockets of miracles, of, of miracle, um, people that carried miracles, people that prayed for miracles, people that saw miracles all throughout history from the first century until now. Number one, be convinced God still does miracles. Number two, know God's word. I said it before, the boundaries. If you don't know the boundaries of what God's words has set up in your life, then you're just going to settle for whatever you see. If you don't know what God's made available to you, then you're not, whatever you don't know will kill you. Whatever you don't know from the word of God, there'll never be a desire in you to actually have it. The devil will quickly convince you that you can't have it if you don't know it's yours from God's word. But when you know it's yours from God's word, then no amount of deception, no amount of de demonic lies or, <clears throat> or anything can, can back you down from fighting the good fight of faith to lay hold on that which God has already paid a high price, price for you to have. So you have to know God's word. You can't have faith for miracles of provision if you don't know God's word that he, uh, on provision. If you don't know God's word on healing, you can't have a miracle of healing. Faith begins where the word of God is known and faith is what brings the victory. You can't have victory in any particular area if you don't know what God says on that, uh, concerning that particular area. Can't have victory over sin if you don't know first and foremost that Jesus has made you to be to have dominion over sin, Romans 6. That sin shall no longer have dominion over you. So knowing God's word is integral in maintaining the flow of the supernatural in your life. Number three, you need to believe. Actually, before I do that, number two, knowing God's word. In Exodus 4.17, God told Moses... Take the rod that I've given you. With it, you will do signs and wonders. So God was saying, that rod that I've given you is the authority for you to do signs and wonders, for you to perform the miraculous everywhere you go. Whatever you do using that rod is going to provoke a supernatural flow of signs and wonders. In Isaiah 11.1, 1, it says, There shall come forth a rod from the root of Jesse, speaking of Jesus. A rod shall spring forth from the root of Jesse. And that was referring to the, to the promised seed. That was referring to Jesus. In John chapter 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. 
and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is His Word, and Jesus in Isaiah 11 is the rod, the prophesied rod that would stem forth from the root of Jesse. And then, Exodus 4.17, Moses was told that with this rod, you should do signs and wonders. So the rod is Christ, and Christ is His Word, and so the Word is the rod of God, the authority of God on the earth. That with it, you can actually provoke signs and wonders. When you release the word from your mouth, it goes to work to war against anything standing in your way from having the breakthrough. Hallelujah. The word of God is God's rod. That with it, you can do signs and wonders. Number three, believe to the point of action. Actions validate your faith. Any faith that lacks proof is fake. You can't say you believe and not tie action to it. I'm not saying you're saved by works, but works come when you're saved. I tell the testimony all the time. Smith Wigglesworth went, uh, was preaching one day, and a man came to him that had no shoes, no feet. And Smith Wigglesworth pulled out some money and told him, go to the local shoe store tomorrow and buy some shoes, and God will give you two brand new fe uh, feet. Could you imagine if someone told you that? You would have been like, this guy's so, what a, a, a knockoff preacher. This guy is like rude, insensitive. The guy doesn't even have feet. Tells him to go buy shoes. That, that wasn't very Christ-like. Well, the man didn't feel that way because he went the next morning and went to a local shoe store and the guy asked him what size shoe. <laughs> he, was, he thought he was buying shoes for somebody else. He said, which size shoe would you like? And then the man realized, I actually don't, I actually don't know, because he had never bought shoes before. He was born without feet. He just had little stubs. So he, he realized at that moment, I've never actually thought about what size shoe. So he said, I mean, give me a nine. He just went for a nine. He had faith for a nine. So he asked for a size nine shoe. They brought it out. He's, they thought he was buying it for someone else. He said, no, 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 I'd like to try these on. The guy looked at him all weird, pulled it out. All right, whatever you say, put the shoes on the ground. The moment he put his stubs in those shoes, Feet grew out, and he had two brand new feet. So that's, a, that's called a creative miracle. Some of you are watching right now, and you have an organ in your body. I feel this by the word of knowledge. There's an organ in your body that the doctor said are, is dysfunctional. It's not working quite right, and they might have to do a transplant on it. There's still an unseen hand, an invisible hand, that can go to where no doctor can go and not even leave a mark. God is the manufacturer of mankind. And he has spare parts. Whatever can't be cured in your body, I command a creative miracle to take place right now that it's going to be replaced. A brand new kidney, brand new liver, brand new organs in the name of Jesus Christ. Some of you, it's your heart that's going out. You've had surgery on your heart once and twice. Doctor said next time it's going to have to be a full transplant. In the name of Jesus Christ, receive a brand new heart right now. Not a revised version of the old heart, a supernaturally brand new heart. Heaven's gift to you in Jesus' mighty name. You need to believe to the point of action. Uh, you know, faith carries corresponding action. There's no corresponding action, then all it is is wishful thinking. The word you know is great. 
You know the Bible? Great. The one you believe? Fantastic. But only the one you obey will produce results. I'm going to say that again. The word you know. See, look, Karina said, they removed my gallbladder. I need a new one. In the name of Jesus Christ, receive a new gallbladder right now in Jesus' name. I command a brand new gallbladder. Command the fire of God to hit your body right now. And a brand new gallbladder to be formed where there was nothing. In Jesus' name. The word you know is good. The word you believe is fantastic. But only the word that you obey, that you have action tied to it, will produce results. Without revel- Until revelation is joined by action, it remains fruitless. doesn't matter what you claim to know. You have to prove to God that you believe by what you do. That's why Abraham... God, Abraham obeyed, by faith, Abraham obeyed and he went out to a, house, to a place where he would receive as, a, as an inheritance. Not be, Abraham confessed only, we're going to get into confession, but Abraham obeyed. God told Abraham, go and sacrifice Isaac. And he just stood by and he prayed whether it was the right thing to do or not. No, he heard the instruction, he went out to do it. And it was in doing that, that God released a supernatural blessing on Abraham that, that carried a sworn blessing. He said, by myself I've sworn that in blessing I will bless you and in, cursing, uh, in multiplying I will multiply you. That's in Genesis 22. So you have to believe to the point of action. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Elijah told Naaman, go to the river Jordan and dip yourself seven times. Naaman got mad. Why should I do that? See, too many people are, are looking for magic. They're looking for the man of God to come and like move his hand over him, just like Elijah, uh, Naaman said. I thought he was going to come out and put his hand over the diseased area and I'd be made well. And now he's telling me to go wash in the river Jordan. How many rivers there are in Damascus that are way cleaner than that? And here, you think I'm going to go and wash in that filthy river? I saw a band-aid floating it the other day. I ain't going near that place. And then someone who had more wit than him came up and said, hey, if he would have asked you to jump through hoops and do some difficult thing and complex thing, how much more would you have done it? Now he's just telling you to go and wash. Do it. Just do it. Try it out. What's the worst thing that happens? So he went, washed, and his flesh was restored like that of a child. So you see, obedience was the trigger to pull in order for the miraculous to take place in Naaman's life. Obedience had to be in place before his healing took place. Obedience had to be in place before his his miracle took place. Number four, no sound, no sign. You have to speak. Declarest thou that thou mayest be justified. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. It's not the power of life and death is in your tongue. It's death and life is in the power of your tongue. Your tongue has power to release life and power to release death. The more you complain about your situation, how much you need a miracle, how much all that, you're releasing, you're glorifying the devil. Complaining glorifies Satan. But when you start to speak opposite, opposite to what you're seeing, you're glorifying God. How do we know that? Abraham, Romans 4. He grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, calling those things which be not as though they were. That's what God did in Genesis 1. When he wanted to create the world, what did he do? God said, light be. God said, trees be. God said, moon be. God said, he spoke. And as he spoke, the Bible says, and God saw that it was good. 
So as you speak God's word, you're injecting your situation with the only substance that's actually able to turn your situation around. When you speak God's word, and not just once, you know, your words are seeds. You don't just speak once and expect a harvest. Just like a farmer doesn't go sow one seed and then the next day wake up looking forward for his harvest and this massive field full. He doesn't just sow one seed and then when a few hours comes and checks and sees if it's growing, it's not growing, so he just uproots it and says this whole farming stuff is just a sham. He, he, he sows, he waters, and then there's a time, there's a time before the harvest comes, but he doesn't stop sowing and he doesn't stop watering. In the same vein, when you speak, you're sowing seed and you're watering seed, and as you keep on speaking, you'll start seeing if you'll not grow weary. That's why Paul said, do not grow weary in well-doing. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, he will reap. If you sow the word into the thing that you need a miracle in, you'll reap the miracle in that area. The Bible says Jesus is the high priest of our confession. A high priest was charged in the Old Testament to come in and minister to the needs of the people. He would come before God representing the people to minister for the needs of the people. Sin, whatever, whatever calamity that they, need, that they needed solved at that time. Jesus is the high priest of our confession. Meaning, Jesus, the Bible says, is ever at the right hand of, of the Father making intercession for us according to the will of God. But he only intercedes that which we confess. He is the high priest of our confession. He only ministers to the needs that we have. That, um, he only ministers to the things that we confess. He'll only minister that which you confess. So if you confess healing, God, Jesus is the high priest of the confession of healing. He'll bring it to pass. He'll enforce it from heaven. That's why the Bible says we aren't to waver from our confession. For he that promised is faithful, he will bring it to pass. He'll bring it to pass. Uh, Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Did he do it the first time? No. So many people give up. They start having Bible confession one day, two days, maybe a week. And then they don't see anything turn, so they give up. They throw in the, the towel. Moses kept speaking until he started to see. And then what happened? They were brought out of the house of bondage into the house of liberty. He didn't stop speaking until he saw his situation turn. Elijah was praying for water. He told his servant to go and check if there's any water. There wasn't any water the first time. Came back. Elijah just gave up and said, well, it must not be God's will to bring rain at this time. We must be missing something. No, you weren't missing anything. He said, go and check again. Go and check again. Go and check again. He kept on speaking and he kept on speaking. Rain come, rain come, rain come. And then all of a sudden, it produced a cloud the size of a man's hand. Jesus said, if you can say to your mountain, not pray about your mountain, say to your mountain, be thou uprooted. Your words have the power to direct where you go in life. Your words have the power. James 3 says your tongue is like the rudder of a ship. Wherever it goes, that's where the ship goes. Your words have the power to navigate you out of the storm you're in and into the miracle that you have need of. That's why, it's in, that's why David said, set a guard over my lips. Set a, keep watch over the, 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 the gate of my mouth. Can't just 
spew out whatever you're feeling. You have to be very calculated in what you're saying. In Bible confession, this is the language of God. This is the only language God understands. It's the language of faith. And faith always speaks. Faith is a speaking force. Bible says they believed in their heart and confessed with their mouth. It's not enough just to believe in your heart. You need to confess with your mouth. So you're believing God for a miracle provision? Start to confess. Father, I thank you that your harvest angels have been dispatched even now. And that whatever I have need of, not only will the need be met, that I'm going to have a super abundance so I can start meeting the needs of others. I thank you, Father, that as I've made you my shepherd, I'm never going to lack. You start to form a confession that is Bible-based, not world-based. You don't say what the world wants you to say or else you'll have the world's results. You say what God wants you to say and you can never go wrong quoting God from His Word. Because what God said is in this Word and what is in this Word is what God has said. The Bible says, So shall my word be which proceeds out of my mouth. It shall never return to me void. And the good news is, is God's word is just, as more, is just as powerful in his mouth as it is in your mouth. God's word is just as powerful in his mouth as it is in your mouth. So the same power released when God spoke his word the first time that went to create everything we see. Remember, by faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. God framed the world we see by the words of his mouth even so, we're created in God's image. God's a faith God. We are faith children. And Genesis 1 is literally how God acted in faith to create the world that we live in. And as faith children, we learn a lesson there that what we say is, is integral, essential in the operation of our faith to create the thing that we desire to see in our lives. Number four, no sound, no sign. A closed mouth is a closed destiny. If it's too big for your mouth, it'll be too big for your hand. If it's too big for your mouth, it'll be too big for your hand. If you can't say it, you won't see it. The proof that you believe it is in your speaking. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. For from within the heart, come, Jesus said. So how do you change your confession? Change your heart. How do you change your heart? You got to put different things in your heart. Quit listening to CNN. Quit listening to MSNBC. Quit listening to all the junk. You know, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. What, what treasure are you storing in your heart? David said, I have treasured thine words in my heart that I may not sin against you. What treasure? Do you have a rotten treasure? Do you have a decaying treasure? Or do you have God's word as, his, as your treasure in your heart? Number five, using the name of Jesus triggers miracles. And I'll end with this. The Bible says there was given, a, given him a name that is above every other name, that at the mention of the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven on earth and beneath the earth shall bow. Whatever you're facing right now, you can know there's a, there's a devil behind it. I'm not saying that you're being, uh, you're, you're demon possessed or whatever. I'm saying that any, any obstacle in life can be traced back to satanic agencies warring against the progress 
of your life. The devil doesn't want you to progress forward. The devil doesn't want you to have anything God's promised out of his word. So he dispatches his, his, uh, his agencies to prevent you and hinder you from walking in God's best. But the good news is, is every knee bows to the name of Jesus. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, uh, Songs of Solomon 1.3, His name is like ointment poured forth. It's like the anointing released. The name, when you use the name of Jesus Christ and direct it at anything, it's a weapon, a powerful weapon. That's not carnal, but it is mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. When you use His name, the power that backs that name, the authority that backs that name goes to war against anything that's been sent to destroy you and, 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 uh, and destroy your destiny. And it, as a result, every knee bows and every opposition leaves. When you use the name, it goes to war. God's power goes to war against anything that's been sent to destroy you and it causes every knee to bow out of that, of that situation. Such as we do have, we give unto you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the man's ankle bones and feet were strengthened. Using the name of Jesus produced physical healing in, in his body. And then Acts 3.16 says, Peter's giving a, a defense for why the miracle happened. He said, don't look on us as if our own godliness or holiness has made this man to walk. No, it's through faith in his name. The faith that comes by the name of Jesus, this man stands here perfectly whole. So it's also not using the name of Jesus like a four-leaf clover, as if it's like a rabbit's foot, just hoping something turns, as if it's like, a, like a, a, a lucky statement. The name of Jesus isn't like punctuation to end your prayer. We just say it because that's how we've been taught to pray. Jesus said, if you will demand anything in my name, and we're not demanding it from God, remember this, John 14 and John 16 both talk about asking in Jesus' name. John 14, 14, Jesus says, if you will ask anything in my name, I will do it. That word ask in Greek is a legal term saying if you'll demand it, like legally demand for it to happen, Jesus said, I'll, I'll enforce it, I'll back it up, I'll back up your demand with my authority and I'll bring it to pass. In John 16, Jesus says, until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall, re shall receive um, from the Father that your joy may be made full. In John 16, he's talking about the name of Jesus in relation to prayer. Whatever we ask in Jesus' name, the Father will give us because the name of Jesus is our passport into the throne room to receive grace and mercy. In John 14, he's not talking about using the name of Jesus in prayer. He's talking about using the name of Jesus in warfare. Anywhere you see the devil rearing his fat, ugly head in your house and in your life, you have the legal right to employ that powerful, authoritative name of Jesus. And when you do, Satan doesn't see you. It's as though Christ himself gave the command. And we know that Jesus, any command he gives, the devil might not respect a human. The devil might not respect government. The devil might not respect laws. But there is one voice and one name that he still respects in 2021. And that is the name of Jesus Christ and the power of God. The Bible says, Say unto God, how marvelous are thy works through the greatness of his power. His enemies submit themselves unto him. When you use the name of Jesus, you're flashing God's power. And when God's power comes forth, every enemy has no choice but to submit to, demand, to the demand made in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah.
That being said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I want you to start typing in the comment section everything you're believing God for. If you're believing God for healing, you're believing God for, for financial prosperity and provision, believing God for debt cancellation, I want you to start writing that out in the comment section, and I'm going to tie my faith with you right now. And we're, we're not going to pray for it. We're going to rebuke the devourer. If it's a devourer that's been chewing away at your finances, we're going to use the name of Jesus to rebuke the devourer. He's not going to mess around with your stuff anymore. If it's physical healing in your body, we're going to rebuke any spirit of infirmity using the name of Jesus, and then we're going to command healing power to flow through you. And anything that can't be, anything that can be, uh, anything that's damaged can be healed. Anything that's beyond healing and beyond cure, uh, beyond the ability to be cured, can be replaced. And when I did this broadcast, I didn't, I didn't, I was praying before, I'm not doing this so that we can have a nice sermon with three points. I'm, we, I did this because I'm setting my faith and my expectation, which shall never be cut off, for God to do miraculous things. I'm talking about Bible level miracles taking place right now. As, don't, don't see this as a broadcast or just another Thursday, Thursday afternoon broadcast. We do this every Thursday. Don't get into that routine. This is a divine appointment. And you know what the good news is? God's appointment has already, God's schedule has been open for you for the moment you were born till now. And even before you were born. God's never blocked off his schedule so that he doesn't see you. God's schedule is completely open. The thing is, is that we schedule in our miracle with God through our expectation. Your expectation is what, like I said before, hacks into heaven's mainframe to put you on God's top priority list for this day. The woman with the issue of blood scheduled her miracle breakthrough in her body. The four men that carried their friend to lay before Jesus and sawed the roof, the paralytic, they scheduled his healing that day. Jesus had no had no agenda to do anything for him that day. They themselves, through their expectation for what God was going to do, scheduled scheduled the, the, the miracle, miracle breakthrough in his body. So miracles are not so much a matter of God's timing as much as it is a matter of scheduling it yourself through your expectation and your obedience. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.